Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. You're listening to the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. If you want to get in touch with the show, email us at IllegalMotionPodcast at gmail.com and follow us on Twitter at Illegal underscore Motion. Thanks for downloading. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. In Los Angeles, California, I'm the professor, Matt Perkins. And joining us from the film room in Nashville, Tennessee, it's the coach, Corey Burton. Yo, 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 giving the kids a much-needed day off. Uh, we got a bye week to scout. And uh, going to get after it next week, coming up on uh, coming up on game week. So uh, we're getting closer and closer. And that's uh, one thing. We're getting closer and closer to college football. So uh, excited to be with you for another preview. And uh, let's get rolling, boys. Let's do it. But we'd be remiss if we did not introduce the third amigo in the second city, a man who thinks there should be a few more sports added to the Olympic Games. It's our intrepid blogger from the Big Ten and Counting, Josh Cook. Yeah, you know, we were talking about this off air one time, Matt. It's like, I don't, I don't think we need to have like a full eight to 16 team tournament of cricket, but like, I don't know. I, I think it'd be kind of cool to invite, like, the top four countries. No, I think, I think if, you, if you want to go 2020 cricket, which I think is a way to do it, you do the same format as rugby did this year. 12 teams. Yeah. I, I, I think I counted them out in my head. I don't need to recite them on air right now. But I, I think 2020 cricket is definitely something that should be added. Uh, you mentioned polo sort of in jest. Yeah, like, if we have water polo, why not have horse polo? Well, then you get then you get in conflicts with the horse people, and the horse people are really up in arms about the attacks on dressage and eventing, whatever those terms mean. Anyhow, uh, well, um, you know what? Our our shout out to cricket has just spiked our numbers in Bangladesh. Which, uh, it's an emerging market, so yeah, I'm very pleased to announce that. Maybe uh, they get, maybe they can get on our uh, what's it called Patreon? Uh, Patreon page, yeah, our Patreon page. <laughs> if you want to support the podcast, um, you'll be able to through the Patreon app. You go to patreon.com and type in Illegal Motion, and we'll pop up if you're interested in giving back to the show. So, uh, but today yeah. we need to continue on with our previews, and it, we're finishing off the Big Ten for 2016 with the East Division. Uh, starting at the bottom, we have uh, my dear father's alma mater, the Rutgers Scarlet Knights. From, uh, former Badger, Razorback, and Buckeye defensive coordinator Chris Ash is in his first year at the helm uh, there, and he has a very tall task ahead of him. And so, Josh, is there any reason for optimism this season? Well, there's one skill set that I kind of like about this Rutgers team. Uh, first of all, they have Janarian Grant, who had some nice flashes as a returner and showed some potential as a wideout, which they'll obviously need now that Leonte Carew gave up his senior year. But they had a three-headed monster at back. Um, they had three kids, all average 5.2 yards or more. Uh, none of them got to 1,000. None of them are superstars, but they keep a nice rotation so they always have a fresh back in. So the situation on offense, I'm not going to say is hopeless, and if Rutgers makes any sort of waves this year, I think it'll be by scoring a lot more points than most people are expecting. But the, the big concern that I have is offensively, Ash wants to bring in a similar scheme to Ohio State's, which utilizes a mobile quarterback. And last year's starter, Chris Laviano, Laviano, I think, is uh, 
you know, he's a pro style quarterback. He was brought in by Flood and and Chiano before him to run a pro style offense, and he's not mobile. And the other player competing for the job is TCU grad transfer Zach Allen, who you probably have never heard of him because he threw two passes in his career at TCU and has 17 career yards. So the quarterback position is a complete unknown, and that doesn't even get to the defense. Ash is a defensive guy. He'll improve that unit, but, you know, last year they gave up 40 points or more six times. They gave up 28 or more in every game, but three of their four wins. And last but not least, the recruiting gap was just terrible, and it feels weird because Coach knows so much more about recruiting, but I was looking into it, and Kyle Flood's last pass was 56th in the country, but the best player transferred the year before, 53rd. But two players were kicked off and five transferred. Uh, 2013 was 50th, but the best player, Nadir Barnwell, was kicked off the team. 2012, that was the class put together by Shiano, but held uh, by Flood when he took over. Was ranked 24th, but like I said, their best player, Leanto Carew, is skipping his senior year. So there's not a lot of talent. And then obviously the coaching change tanked the incoming class. Rutgers was the 79th ranked class this year. That is just between Fresno State and Southern Miss. Uh, in fact, Purdue and Illinois were even ahead of Rutgers at 74th and 68th. So they don't have much talent. They're doing a complete overhaul at the quarterback position. That's kind of a recipe for a really disastrous season, but maybe they can show something running the ball. And, and I'm just looking for them to be competitive and improve defensively. I don't think they'll be very impressive win-loss record. Yeah, I think it's going to be kind of kind of chaotic on offense. I think they're going to spend a lot of time finding their identity because of personnel. Now, once Ash gets in and starts getting a couple cycles in, he knows how to recruit. He was a great recruiter up at Ohio State. You know, we all know what kind of classes they bring in there. Uh, so, you know, going back to the scheme change, uh, you you know, as a good coach, and we'll see how good of a coach he is, you've got to be willing to kind of adjust, especially coming into a new situation. You've got to be able to kind of adjust, and you should be able to adjust while still keeping your same while still keeping your same core philosophy. Uh, you just kind of have to change and adjust based on who you have. If the guy, if, if your best quarterback. The guy that gives you the best chance to win is is a slow, uh, non-mobile, pro-style quarterback. Then, well, let's 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 go and, and get our uh, closest pro-style type stuff from our offense, and let's let's focus on that. You know, let's let's have a package for this backup guy who might be good at running option stuff. I mean, you just got to figure out who your best quarterback is, who your best leader is, and then go from there. You know, Zach Allen comes in and he can do. All of the option stuff, then, then great. You know, go with them and and, and and let's roll. But you know, if not, you got to take that transitional year where you you just kind of run a hybrid of your scheme to fit your quarterback. Go out and recruit your guy, bring him as a freshman, and then develop them and and bring in you know have a great recruiting class to try to get some of these older guys out and and just try to build with that younger class. Take your lumps and. And, uh, and go from there. I think that's the plan. I think for the first two, three years, it's going to be rock. Uh, you know, you, you have to change the mindset. 
have to change. There's a lot of stuff culture-wise you have to change before you can even think about having your scheme work for you. So, I mean, he's got his work cut out for him. I think I think he was the right hire. I think he's I think he's going to do a good job because he's a good coach. But you know, he's in a tough situation. I'll, I'll be honest. You know, Rutgers, you know, is, is not in the best of situations, and it's definitely not the Rutgers that Greg Schiano left. And, and it's a no. It, it's yeah, definitely not. They work. It's going to take a little time for them to get back to chopping wood there, but their schedule also does them absolutely no favors this year. They open the year in Seattle against Washington. They've got crossovers with Iowa, Minnesota, and Illinois. Illinois, you know, is a, a team that sort of we disagree on. Josh likes them a lot more than most of us, but uh, they have just obviously in the rest of the the really tough Big Ten East. So this is going to be a team that is going to you know be hitting the mouth a lot and. It's going to be, you know, I don't think they expect to go better than, you know, three and nine this year, uh, but they shouldn't because the combination of lack of talent and really tough schedule is just it's going to be a little bit too much. But that doesn't mean they should like lose faith in Chris Ash immediately, like you were saying, Coach. So following the Scarlet Knights, uh, we move on up the ladder to the Maryland Terrapins entering um, – uh, another year of Big Ten, Ten play, which still seems very, very strange to say um, after just sort of existing with them in the ACC for so long. Uh, but they've got a new coach, DJ Durkin, and he's a guy that a lot of people seem to be really, really high on. So what do you think he'll bring to the table in uh, uh, there at Maryland, Josh? Well, the first thing is he's going to improve a defense that was in the hundreds a year ago. This is a guy who coached a really, really sound Michigan defense a year ago. He'll also improve the recruiting. He was the 2012 Rivals Recruiter of the Year back when he was with Florida. So Durkin is definitely an upgrade of on Randy Edsel, X's and O's wise, but also recruiting wise. And I also kind of want to give a shout out to Mike London. This is a guy who struggled as the head coach at Virginia. But if you remember, Virginia had some nice defensive line players and while they struggled through his tenure, the defense was seldom a problem, especially up front, and he's now coaching the line for Maryland. So they have a pretty nice brain trust now on defense. Um, Maryland was an intriguing offense a year ago. They were 33rd in rushing, but 74th in scoring, and a lot of that fell on the 109th-ranked passing unit that threw 29 interceptions a year ago. Uh, to just 15 interceptions. Perry Hills and Caleb Rowe are both back. Um, Hills had better numbers than Rowe and ended as the second leading rusher, but he still only had a 50% completion rate, eight touchdowns to 13 picks. Uh, So it's possible Rowe could reclaim the job. He had six TDs, 15 picks a year ago. And uh, Okie State transfer Dax Garman, who also then went to Arizona before joining Maryland, a season ago. He had a lot of buzz from his prep days, but he's failed to deliver. And actually at Maryland, he's 6 of 18 for 115 yards, one touchdown, and of course, he had one interception also. So all of them got in the act and throwing a historic interception rate. If they cut that down, they have some nice pieces. Obviously, they have Will Likely, who's one of the best all-around athletes in the entire league. The schedule unfolds nicely. They have a soft non-conference and home dates against Purdue, Minnesota, and Rutgers. I think they can compete for a bowl game right away because Randy Etzel did a lot of stuff wrong X's and O's wise, but none of us felt that this was a bear covered when Durkin got the job. 
Exactly. I mean, I, I agree. I, I think they I think they made the right hire, uh, much like Rutgers did, but they're not in as much of a mess as Rutgers is. I mean, record-wise, it may seem that way uh, because they haven't had a lot of success, but if you really dig deep, you know, the players are there. They've got talent. They've got talented guys, you know, and they've got the backing from under them, and they got a great coaching staff now. Uh, you, you, you added Mike London. I'll add Keenan McCardo to that mix as well. Tons of NFL experience um, at the wide receiver coaching position. So, um, you know, I, I think the arrow's only going to point up for Maryland. And, and you know, when, when Maryland's good, um, that's a good uh, that's a good recruiting area for the Big Ten. And if Maryland could somehow raise their level of play, and and Durkin, who was uh, national recruit of the year when he was at Florida, can lock down his home state, that's going to screw the rest of the Big Ten over, especially those especially those East Coast schools that, that rely on the state of Maryland heavily for uh, for kids. And then, uh, you know, that's going to be nothing but good news for Maryland. So I like D.J. Durkin. And, and if, if you really look at the, the new coaches overall in this conference, I really do like all, of, all these coaches. I really do like the new guys that have come in. Uh, I really think the schools have made the right hire. Uh, Purdue, you're up next. You need to make a good hire and, and keep that trend going. But um, you know, as far as what they're going to do, yes, they can only go. They can only go up uh, passing wise. I, I think that Durkin will come in. I, there's a lot of things as a head coach that uh, he's going to have to learn. But scheme wise, I, I think he's going to be okay. I think they're going to improve just because they changed leadership. Uh, I think the talented kids there are going to get a chance to showcase their talents. Uh, for them, they need to simplify. If they simplify this year, I think they have a better chance of competing for a bowl versus you know just trying to throw too much at them right now. Ease into it uh, and, and then compete. Just, just work on competing. Work on getting good at something. Form an identity and then go and then go wreak havoc on the rest of, on the rest of the conference. Yeah, definitely. The Maryland, the, the arrow is definitely pointing up for this squad uh, going forward. So might be, you know, a little rocky this year, but definitely not as rocky as it will be in New Brunswick with the with Rutgers. But uh, we're going to keep moving along to uh, number five in the East for our predictions, and that is Penn State Nittany Lions. Uh, uh, legal motion lightning rod. James Franklin heads into his third season <laughs> there. And uh, State College PA, and it is he's got to improve that offensive line, man. They were absolutely terrible last year, and they lost Christian Hackenberg, who you know that might be an addition by subtraction sort of deal, uh, considering he was considered a little bit divisive both in the locker room and with especially with Coach Franklin. So, Josh, uh, what do the Lions have in store for us this year? Oh man, that's a good question. This is the this is a team that has a ceiling high enough that says they'll be in Indianapolis, and it has a ceiling low enough that says they'll fall apart and Franklin will get fired. They are the great unknown out east. Um, Franklin is 14 and 12, 6 and 10 with the Lions. He's failed to deliver a marquee win, and worse, his club fell apart down the stretch last season. You never want to have the stumble that they did at the end. Um, their defense last year was 30th nationally. That was a good thing. Unfortunately, I don't see how they can be as good. They lost their best player, Ryan Nassib. He graduated. And defense coordinator, Bob Shoup, he went down to Tennessee. So that's a lot to figure out on the defense. 
So while they won't be 30th nationally, like, I'm not sure they'll fall apart down to, like, mid-60s, but they will take a step back. And you brought up that offensive line. The entire Penn State offense last year stuck. They're 104th in scoring, 106th in rushing, and 86th, or excuse me, 82nd in passing. And all it had to do with the worst offensive line in the league, the Hackenberg was sacked 38 times. I know Temple got him 10 times, but 28 is still a staggering number without that game. By comparison, I said Illinois had a really bad offensive line last year. They only gave up 19 sacks. So this was just an epically awful unit. And what's scary is in 2013, or excuse me, the year before, 2014, Hackenberg was sacked 44 times. So this coaching staff knew that was a weakness, and they didn't change anything. They didn't improve anything. And as a result, Hackenberg left, gave up his senior year to go be a second-round pick. And I know Saquon Barkley has looked like the real deal, but if the offensive line is a colander again, it's not going to matter. Their offense was terrible last year, even with Barkley. And what's scary to me is they brought in a new offensive coordinator to try and fix this. So – if you're keeping track at home, new defensive coordinator and new offensive coordinator, that's usually not a recipe for success. But anyway, they brought in Joe Moorhead, and he wants to bring a no-huddle, hurry-up look to Penn State. And that can always be a rocky tr- transition. But, but what I don't get is this is a thin and terrible offensive line. Why do you want to speed things up to then add fatigue? To an issue. So you'll have a thin, bad, tired unit. I'm not sure what in the world this team is going to do offensively. So color me unimpressed with that hire. On the flip side, Penn State has had, I believe, three straight recruiting classes in the top 25 nationally. At some point, that all has to come together. If the offensive line shows improvement, Barkley, like I said, can put this team on his back. They have talent. I just don't trust the coaching, and that's what's going to prevent them from making the Big Ten title game, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I agree totally. Um, I, you know, it'll be interesting to see what they come out with and how they look. I mean, if you look at the scheme overall, I think the benefits um, of the hurry up, no huddle, if they run the right plays, I think could be beneficial to help a porous line because, you know, it. If they're hurrying up and throwing quick, quick passes, you know, quick slants, bubbles, screens, all you know, run pass option type stuff, and you know, not forcing those guys to sit back and protect for long periods of time, that might help them out. Uh, they might move the ball a little bit better, um, and, and and they might enjoy a little bit more success, and they might be willing to run up and down the field, get in shape, and all that stuff. But uh, where that puts pressure uh, is the defense. When you hurry up and no huddle. You go three and out, you've only burnt 15, 20 seconds off the game clock, and, you know, your defensive coordinator hates you. Um, so, if, if anything, it puts it puts more pressure on the defense than it does on the offensive line because because of the time of possession. And, and if, you, if, you're not, if you're not on point and a hurry-up no huddle, your defense better be in shape because they're going to be on the field a lot. So, uh, I worry about that. Uh, defense, new defensive coordinator as well, uh, Lindsey Bob Shoot. You know, are we starting to see things unravel at Penn State? I don't know. Um, but it'll, there's a lot of question marks. And, you know, they'll go to a bowl because, you know, they've got the 
talent on the roster to go to a bowl. But um, I don't, I don't, I just don't see them being a legitimate contender for the Big Ten title game just because of all the question marks that they have, um, especially in the offensive line. Yeah, this is obviously going to be a sort of a make or break year for Franklin and his staff. But if the Nittany Lions have one of the worst offensive, or definitely the worst offensive line in the Big Ten, one of the units that might be the best is surprisingly the Indiana Hoosiers, uh, who have recently somehow become a running back and offensive line production factory a little bit. So they are going to be without. Nate Sudfeld this year, which is obviously going to hurt. He was a great quarterback for them. But, Josh, you still have pretty high expectations uh, for the crew down um, at Indiana. Yeah, I've got very high expectations. First of all, you mentioned the running back position. Well, they have uh, Divine Redding, who was the two-man to the one-two punch of their running back last year. And as the two-guy, he still had over 1,000 yards. So, I expect their running game to be perfectly good again. Helping whoever replaces Sudfeld is wide receiver Simi Cobbs Jr., who was a 1,000-yard receiver a year ago. This is a great, great skill position set. And Kevin Wilson's always found a way to groom a quarterback. I don't love going into the season with kind of an unknown at quarterback, but if there's one staff I trust, it's Kevin Wilson. And if there's one line that you get to have the luxury of learning behind. It's really either Iowa or Indiana. These two teams have really become great line-producing programs. The one reservation you have to have about Indiana is really been Kevin Wilson's bugaboo, and that is their defense just has failed to really get going. He's tried different schemes. He's tried JUCO players in the past. And just for whatever reason, it's never clicked. They're 116th a year ago in points against. Uh, They made another defensive coordinator switch. And to try and prevent some of those big passing plays, it looks like they're going to be playing the 4-2-5 this year. Now, that puts a lot of pressure on the front seven to get pressure. They just had 13 sacks a year ago. So it might give up the big 80-yard pass play, but it leaves them susceptible to some of the shorter stuff because with going to a six-man front now instead of a traditional front seven, uh, we'll see. We'll see how that works out. Um, I personally, though, I've got Indiana winning seven games, and that's without an upset of either Penn State or Nebraska at home. So if Indiana can get a quarterback that puts up similar numbers to Sudfeld, and if that defense gets at least competent, this is a team that can really be a factor. I'm not sure they'll be able to beat all the big dogs in the East, but, I mean, they took Michigan to overtime a year ago. I could easily see them spoiling someone's season. I really like this team. Uh, you know, the more I look at it, uh, I, I think I think what's going to hold them back from really just taking the next step is replacing Sudfeld. You know, I, I just don't know what uh, Richard Legal is going to do. Um, defensively, I mean, they're 116th last year. They can only go up. Uh, it's only yeah. a new scheme. You know, the the four two five is definitely going to help you in the passing game. You get you get an extra DBs. Probably you, you probably have a chance to get your your uh, run support type safety uh, guy. He's he's faster than a linebacker, but bigger than a safety. You know, hybrid type guy. You get a chance to put him down in the box and 
and still get your your four high look uh, with your coverages, and you can still you can still run your gamut of, of, of coverages, which is why I like the four two five over the three five or the three three stack. Um, if you're going to run these type of defenses, and uh, you know you still got your four down linemen, still got your two inside backers against the run. Um, where they can get you is the off tackle stuff. So you have to have a really good linebacker that can flow and get through blocks. <laughs> and if they can do that, I think they'll be fine. But you know they just got to be able to limit the big plays and force teams into you know 12, 13, 14, 15 play drives. That way, you know they they put the put the risk on the other team to uh, to make the mistake. And I think if they can just make teams earn it, I think they they will go a longer way and they might have a chance. One of my favorite big games to watch last year was that Indiana. Uh, Michigan game where they went overtime, you know, and, and it just shows that, you know, Indiana just wasn't quite ready to win last year. Um, but, you know, it, it, it's going to be, can they turn the leaf, you know, and, and be one of those, uh, you know, they, they've got to, they've got to take a step out of the cellar and onto that middle tier. If they, it, it's definitely a work in progress. I definitely like the way they're going. Um, and I, you know, I, I'm excited. So let's see what they do with the quarterback position. Let's see what they do with this four, two, five. I, you know, as far as defensive schemes outside of the standard ones, I like the four-two-five and I like the three-four. So those are my two favorite defensive schemes. If uh, if I was, if, if y'all were to name me uh, the illegal motion college football podcast defensive coordinator. Well, Coach, we're going to keep you on offense because that's where you seem to be best. But it's good to know that you could uh, flip around the other side of the ball if we need you. Um, well, you know, speaking of flipping around to both sides of the ball, Jabril Peppers is the star of this year's Michigan team, and they come in at number three in our predictions for the Big Ten East Division. Michigan. And, yeah, meet chicken, Michigan, um, a lot of, lot of hype, a lot, a lot, a lot of hype this year. Uh, a lot of people have them pegged to be, you know, top five team in the country. We're a little bit more tepid on them. And I think, uh, Josh, you know, I, I'm curious as to what you think, because they're going to be going, are they going in with another uh, transfer quarterback this year? Wow, that's going to be the question. So, I guess let's start why people have them a contender. That's an easier answer to begin with. And that is they're loaded on the lines. They have a really good offensive line. They have a really good defensive line. But their skill possession set is even better. They have possibly the best receiving core in the nation with Jehu Chesson, Amara Darbo, and tight end Jake Butt. They're all back. Uh, running back Davion Smith was the leading rusher, but also proved really helpful in the passing attack. And the O-line was really good at keeping Rudolph clean. Um, their running game was 93rd, so they had some issues run blocking, but I do think that'll improve. And like you said, their talent on defense is led by Jabril Peppers. But they also have Chris Wormley on the line. They have Jordan Lewis at corner. And Rashawn Gary is one of the top recruits in the entire nation. So... They've got some good pieces there. Let's get to the reservations that you mentioned the big one, Matt, and that is quarterback. So they had Jake Rudock a year ago, and he was really good. He had over 3,000 passing yards, 64 completion percentage, 20 touchdowns, and nine interceptions. I think a lot of people are just going, oh, well, Jim Harbaugh is a quarterback whisperer. They'll be fine. But I think that's – really disingenuous to Rudock, who was a 
two-year starter in the Big Ten and had a better resume than the two guys who are really competing for the job this year. Um, And Shane Morris is on the depth chart, but it sounds like he'll be third. In fact, he's just going to be the emergency quarterback. They've already said that he'll probably get – it is a packages at wide receiver. So it it really comes down to uh, Wilton Spite, Speet, the backup last year, and transfer John O'Corn. And O'Corn was masterful in 2013 with Houston. He had 28 touchdowns to 10 picks. Uh, but he really struggled in 2014 and obviously lost his job to Greg Ward Jr. And we all saw how that worked out last season for Houston. So he transferred to Michigan, sat out last year. Um, but I was going to look at Mack on his 2013 season, and I saw a few issues. So Houston lost five games that year, and four of them they were held to under 24 points. And a lot goes into offense, but obviously O'Corn played a factor that he was under 60% as a passer. And that Houston team put 62 points on Southern, 59 on Texas San Antonio, 49 on Rutgers, and 46 on BYU. So he kind of compiled stats against, especially Southern and UTSA, against some weaker opponents. I'm not sure he can hack it against Big Ten-level defenses. And obviously, Wilton couldn't win the job last year. He was played very sparingly kind of got into the Ohio State game due to emergency and really didn't shine. Granted, the game was a blowout and that's being tossed in the deep end. He looks good in spring, but it's I think it's just an overstatement to be like, oh, Michigan will have a great quarterback just because Jim Harbaugh coaches quarterbacks. And the other thing that not enough people are talking about is there are very real questions at linebacker so much so that they've moved Jabril Peppers from safety into some linebacker looks here in the spring and summer. It's not great to go into a season with question marks at quarterback and linebacker. They have a ton of talent. They're an obvious contender, but um, there are reasons that give you pause. And another one, in addition to the position questions, is they have trips to East Lansing, Iowa City, and Columbus. So they're going up against what looks like the three other best teams in the Big Ten all on the road. Now, who knows? They could win all three. They could make Indianapolis. They could make the tournament. But I think it's really short-sighted to just pencil Michigan into the tournament already. Yeah, I I do too, especially with Michigan State and Ohio State sitting there. Um, But, you know, you look at the quarterback battle and, you know, it's tough to – it's tough to really know who to go with because you have a guy that played a lot, but, you know, would come up small in big games. And then you have a guy that played sparingly, lost to quarterback competition, but knows the system. Um, and I'm not at practices, and I don't think either either of us are at practices. And, and so we don't know exactly who the more talented one is. But, you know, it, it, if I had to guess and, and – and want to lean on something, you know, you, you have to think Spate has a really good chance of, of getting this job because he's familiar with Harbaugh. He's familiar with the system. Maybe he's developed more than, than John O'Corn. Maybe he just has an actor big-time spots more so than John O'Corn. I don't know, and, and we won't know that. And, and it might be one of those situations where, where O'Corn starts and then, you know, he, he struggles and he gets pulled and Spate goes and gets in and, he, you know, 
that, that I can see that being the situation, right? I can see they go to the first game with two quarterbacks and, and, and rock and roll that way. You know, they play, you know, they got uh, Hawaii the first game. Uh, they host Hawaii in the big house the first game. So, you know, why not Why not try to go two quarterbacks there and, and take a look? But, you know, defensively, linebacker, uh, they got their biggest addition was John Brown as defensive coordinator. So I trust that he will be able to figure out how to get one of those linebackers to play uh, Big Ten football. So I'm not as worried about linebacker as I am about the quarterback position because quarterbacks can be so flaky, but linebackers, you can – you can find a guy that just can do it, uh, especially John Brown. But uh, I love Rashawn Gary. Love your Bill Peppers. Um, I think those two players are going to be uh, on the first team all Big Ten. So not to give my rookie of the year pick away, but uh, I think Rashawn Gary is going to have a big year for, for them on the defensive line. So I, I, I'm excited to watch Michigan, honestly. I, I'm excited for some Big Ten football, and I don't say that much because I'm an SEC guy, but, uh, you know, you look at this division, and it's going to be it's going to be a daggum war. You know, you have three teams that could easily get into the playoffs, and uh, it's going to be fun watching it all unfold. Yeah, coach. And you mentioned the schedule. You know, they play one time outside of the state of Michigan before November, and that is at Rutgers. So, yeah. you know, they don't have an away – in their first away game is Rutgers in week six. So they've got, you know, they've got a lot of time at home to sort of sort out that quarterback battle. Um, but uh, they don't travel outside, but they do have to go to East Lansing to face our number two team in the Big Ten East, and that is the Michigan State Spartans under uh, long – under longtime coach Mark D'Antonio, who, you know, I think, Josh, we've just sort of – we give him the benefit of the doubt at this point, don't we? Yeah, and what I find most interesting about him is I sort of get the impression that he coaches with one of the biggest chips on a shoulder really around. And you kind of look at his tenure. He – he was born in El Paso. That's a city that's like right on the border, kind of hard to travel. Uh, it doesn't have the like glitz and glam of Dallas or Houston. And then, you know, you look at his stops. He plays at South Carolina back when South Carolina was an independent and hated the SEC, hated the ACC. So then he gets a chip from his playing days. And then all of his stops, you know, he's at Ohio. Purdue, Butler Community College, then goes back to being a grad assistant again at Ohio State. Then he's at Akron. Then he's at Youngstown State. These are not high-profile places. Then he's at Kansas. Then he's at Michigan with Saban. And it's like, oh, yes, I'm with Saban. Well, when he bolted, D'Antonio stayed true and was with Michigan State then. Then he gets the Ohio State job. And then finally, oh, you know, he's defensive coordinator at Ohio State. That's a great job. That's a big stepping stone. No one seemed to want him. So he goes to Cincinnati. I mean, you're looking at Chris Ash, DJ Dirk, and these are guys who were defensive coordinators in the Big Ten who got Big Ten jobs. This is a guy who had to go to Cincinnati. And then when he gets his Big Ten job, it's at, quote-unquote, little brother in the state of Michigan, Michigan State. And he has just years of this, like, whether it's true or not, but years of, like, perceived slights against him, much like what Michael Jordan did. 
and just turns that into extra motivation. And you see his players play with that intensity. And I'm not going to say it's easy to replace Connor Cook. I'm not saying it's going to be easy to replace six defensive starters. But they got LJ Scott, a wonderful running back. Uh, they have some really, really special defensive players, uh, including Malik McDowell. So, I mean, they still have a lot of pieces. They'll still be good. The question is, as much like Michigan, will they find enough from that quarterback position to get past a very tough schedule because the East is stacked? Ohio State's great. Michigan's really good. Michigan State's really good. So it, it kind of comes down to these three contenders. Michigan and Michigan State have to find a quarterback. Ohio State has a great quarterback, but not much around them. So it's all going to kind of come together which team gels the most. The nice thing is they all play each other so late in the season that we should be able to see the best product. Michigan, Michigan State, and Ohio State, it's like flip a three-headed coin and figure out how that works because you really like all these teams. And with Michigan State, it starts with, the identity Mark D'Antonio has created. Yeah, Josh, I mean, this is this is going to be a beast of a team. I think, uh, Coach, you're in, pretty much in agreement with that one. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I really like – I think they're in a better situation because O'Connor's a fifth-year starter and he has actually separated himself during the spring. But where I get fired up about this Michigan State team and where I, where I think they're going to succeed defensively is everything's going to go through their linebacking core. They – they have one that's similar to their 2013 group. Um, and, you know, I, I'm, I'm getting defensive on this show. You know, I'm, 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 really, I'm really focusing on defense here because, uh, you know, I don't want to be one-sided. So, you know, you have Riley Bur- – uh, I can't even – I just drew a brain fart here. Bullo. Uh, Riley Bullo, yes. And uh, Ed Davis uh, uh, bolstering that linebacking core for the Spartans. Uh, they have – What's interesting when you look at their coaching staff is they have four coordinators, uh, two offensive, two defensive. You have Dave Warner, Jim Bolleman on offense. On defense, you have Harlan Barnett and Mike Tressel. So joining the staff, joining the Spartan staff as, as a co-defensive coordinator. So I've never really liked the co-coordinator situations. Uh, I, I never really think that they work, but um, I don't know. Maybe they will. Having Mike Tressel around certainly doesn't doesn't hurt but I you know as far and and that's why I think I had Michigan State as number two is because I looked at the quarterback situations and I saw that they were in a little bit better shape than Michigan um and they had uh I think they I think they were in better shape defensively all around although Michigan does have some some more higher end talent I think Michigan State just is a little bit deeper and I think that during this you know when on the stretch run of the season when they play each other depth is going to come into play here if you don't have depth, I you know I find it hard to believe that you're going to last. So uh, I, I like Michigan State. I like them defensively, offensively. Again, Josh, you have had you know they have a lot of talent around there. This fifth-year senior quarterback. So let's see if he can go out and do it. Yeah, you know 
I, I think we all have a, you know, a, a great amount of respect for Michigan State, which is why we are giving them sort of the benefit of the doubt here and putting them at number two. But the number one seems a little bit overwhelming. And yet again, it's the Ohio State University Buckeyes. Uh, Urban Meyer, four years, oh, just a ho-hum 50-4 and four record. Uh, you got to replace a couple of coordinators, but um, no problem. You know, they bring Greg Schiano and, you know, keep on chugging right along like Michigan state. They have four coordinators as well. So maybe we are starting to see a trend here. Um, but, uh, who knows? So Josh, they got to replace a lot of guys though, don't they? Yeah. You know, I've read that they have like six returning starters. <laughs> so that's a lot. That's a ton. And it's going to be a work in progress for the first few weeks. But thankfully outside of that, Oklahoma game, they actually have a fairly favorable start. They have their first Big Ten game is October 1st because they have a bye week after Oklahoma. So they have the entire September to figure things out. And, you know, we saw one-loss teams in the tournament a year ago. So they could get drubbed by Oklahoma and figure things out. Their conference slate starts with Rutgers and Indiana. And we've been talking about the three-headed monster, Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan State, they don't play the two Michigan schools till November 19th and 26th. They have a long time to figure out what they have. But what we do know that they have, and this is the nice thing, is where they do have that returning talent is in some really important spots. They have JT Barrett back. He's not looking over his shoulder. There's no quarterback controversy. He gets to let it fly. And we saw what that was like a few years ago when he put up Heisman Trophy caliber numbers. So I love getting to have 100% JT Barrett back. He also returned some really key interior blockers uh, on that offensive line. So that's a good place to start. If you're not going to have much talent back, you want it to be at quarterback in the line. Uh, Defensively, Their back seven is going to be phenomenal. But I'm looking at the outstanding linebacker, Raquion McMillan. There's a really nice piece to have. And we start to see some legacy players. Michigan State has had the Bola family. Wisconsin has the Watt family. Guess what? Ohio State has another Bosa, Nick Bosa now, ready to step up. If he's anywhere near as good as his brother. It's just going to be super annoying to see another Bosa in the scarlet and gray for Ohio State. So, you know, Urban Meyer, proven winner, proven quarterback, and while not a ton of proven returning talent, you know the recruiting class was great. What they do have of key pieces back are where you want to have kids. Yeah, I mean, you you look at them and, you know, again, a lot of you know, a lot of your top-tier teams, even though they lose a bunch of guys, like, you know, we talked about this with Clemson. You know, you, you trust that the coaching staff has replaced them with with uh, with guys that can step in and, and you know, and, and make yourself where you reload and not rebuild. So, uh, Luke Fickle and Greg Schiano heading up that defense. Uh, I really I really think that's going to be an interesting deal. Uh, Schiano's back in, the, back in the college world. Um, joining join up with Ohio State. They have Joker Phillips as a quality control coach. Um, Joker Phillips formerly uh, bounced around the SEC, was formerly the head coach at the University of Kentucky. 
Um, I, I think that with Urban Meyer, as long as he has a great quarterback and a proven quarterback, he can make the other skill positions work. He did so at Florida. Uh, you look, you looked around Tim Tebow, and there really wasn't a whole lot of proven guys around him. I mean, you had Percy Harvin, um, but you know those guys were were virtually when they when they broke in the office, they were vir- they were unknown. And then they came in, and and you know it ran like a machine because the head of your offense was a great proven guy that could lead those guys and put them in position. You know, what Urban Meyer does a great job of scheme-wise is making sure he gets those guys in a position to succeed. And he does a good job of simplifying what he does to make it, to make the transition seamless into into that offense. So I, I think that they don't have as much to worry about as far as that goes, as long as they got JT Barrett in the fold and as long as he stays healthy, I think this team will perform at a high level. One of my favorite defensive players in this conference is Raquan McMillan. He's a South Georgia product. Um, great player at linebacker. Uh, loved watching his high school film. Wish Georgia could have turned him, um, but I don't think they had much of a chance. I think Ohio State was on McMillan early. So, um, you know, Urban Myers figured out that if, if I recruit the Southeast well, especially the state of Georgia, I can get some good talent. You know, he learned that with Von Bell as well. So, uh, you know, I, I think this team, although we said it's a three-headed monster, because of JT Barrett, because of what they have, and uh, McMillan is, is their two big-time leaders, and the talent around them will just have no choice but to gel early on. They get all their and schedule lines up favorably for them. And, it, you know, and on the flip side, it lines up favorably for Michigan State and Michigan. You know, they get a chance to play uh, their big, or I say they're big, big 10 games um, in late November, which is against Ohio State. So um, going to be November is going to be a fun month for this conference. Uh, I think a lot of a lot of decisions are going to be made then. Um, but watch out early on. Uh, hopefully Michigan, hopefully Ohio State doesn't doesn't have that fall asleep game that they typically have once a year. So, uh, you know, there's not much bad I can say about this team. Um, just the fact that, you know, they got some unproven talent that they might have to uh, polish, but they've got the whole month of September to do so before they really even uh, get into the heart of their Big Ten schedule. So uh, going to be a fun, fun ride in the Big Ten East. I, I will say that. Yeah, definitely going to be a, a fun ride. So um, to recap, as uh, as a group, we had um, – we had Rutgers at the bottom, followed by Maryland, Penn State, Indiana, Michigan, Michigan State, and Ohio State capping it off. We're going to go around and just uh, uh, give our, uh, you know, Big Ten champ, uh, Offensive Player of the Year, Defensive Player of the Year, Coach of the Year, and Rookie of the Year, like usual, except we have so much agreement that a couple of them are the same for all of us. We all agree that the Offensive Player of the Year is going to be JT Barrett, that the Rookie of the Year is going to be Rashad Gary. So I, I think that's you know, pretty good. But Josh, why don't you, why don't you start us off? Yeah. So, um, I have pretty much the same East. I flipped Michigan, Michigan state. They'll probably be tied. I don't know who knows, but, um, here's where I get a little interesting. I have my coach of the year as Kevin Wilson of Indiana. And I've noticed that this league really loves to give the coach of the year to whoever exceeds expectations. And they do it so much that 
I'm not sure Jim Trestle even won a Big Ten Coach of the Year award. So this league really likes to kind of pick the team that no one expects anything from. So if if Indiana, I have them winning seven games, but if they pull off an upset, maybe even two upsets, slip into that eight nine range, I think he's going to win Coach of the Year. And my first fired is Daryl Hazel from Purdue, but my Defensive Player of the Year. Feel free to call me a homer, but Homer, I'm going with Josie Jewell, the linebacker from Iowa. And we've heard about all the talent. We've talked about Ohio State kids, talked about Jabril Peppers. But as a sophomore, he started all 14 games at middle linebacker, led the team with 126 tackles, ranked second on the team with four picks and tied for second with seven and a half tackles for loss. He was all over the place. He was a leadership group member, the only sophomore, and was named a permanent team captain on defense, which is super rare. It's sometimes surprising to even see juniors get to be captains. Ferentz loves to award that to seniors. He's an academic All-Big Ten. He does it all over the field, and he was such a lightly recruited kid. I think he was either a one- or a two-star kid come out of a small town called Decorah, Iowa. I think that his stats are really good, but, again, the Big Ten kind of has this tradition of finding guys that fit a good narrative. I think Josie Jewell's stats and the good narrative of he wasn't the high-profile kid will help him. Plus, if Iowa makes a repeat trip to Indianapolis, you're going to have to find someone to give an award to. All right, Coach, All right. who you got um, as a champ and so on? But, yeah, I'm a homer. I, I picked an Iowa guy. I'm a homer. <laughs> yeah, you are. We've done that for a long time. It, it, it's all good. Uh, my champ, I'm going to go Ohio State over Iowa. I think it's going to be a competitive Big Ten championship. I don't think it's going to be a route like it has been in some some years. Uh, then I like as my coach of the year, I'm going to do it this and then. Right now, my coach of the year is going to go to uh, Urban Meyer for winning the conference. But uh, my if-then is if Illinois exceeds expectations. Don't be surprised if Lovey Smith is that guy. Um, my, I want to give a shout-out to my co-offensive player of the year or actually my runner-up for offensive player of the year, and I think it's going to be, um, I think it's going to be Mike Weber of Ohio State running back. Um, I think if, you know, he's, he's, going to, he's going to also put up some big numbers. So I just wanted to mention him a little bit, as well as C.J. Bathard, quarterback at Iowa. I think he's going to be a big part of Iowa Iowa winning that division. Uh, my rookie of the year, obviously, is Sean Gary, but, um, you know, want to make, want to make sort of, uh, Nick Bosa. You know, he comes from a good family. My defensive player is Jabril. Uh, I'll say my defense Peppers. Um, and I think that he's going, because of, because of him part timing at linebacker, I think he's going to pick up linebacker stats in the run game. Uh, linebacker type stats with run game and tackles, and I think he's going to have defensive back stats with uh, with interceptions because he's a guy that can cover slot receivers and a guy that can get in the box and and play the run. So uh, he's going to be my player of the year because he's going to put up monster numbers um, on the defensive side of the ball. First coach fired in this conference. Um, 
that goes without saying is Daryl Hazel. And I think really Daryl Hazel is going to be the only one uh, that's fired this year in this conference because of what they have, um, a lot of new coaches. So I don't think there's going to be a whole lot of uh, movement unless it's on their own accord. So uh, did I leave anything out? I just fired. Yeah, you, you, got, you got it all there, Coach. Um, I've also got Ohio State winning the title game. Uh, over Iowa, um, I've you know, like I said, JT Barrett as Offensive Player of the Year. My Defensive Player of the Year and my Coach of the Year both come from Michigan State. I think Malik McDowell will be a first-team All-American, uh, you know, a guy who's going to have high double-digit double number of sacks and a lot of tackles in the backfield. He's going to be a big difference maker on a Michigan State team that I think is really going to push Ohio State, and that's why I have Mark D'Antonio as the Coach of the Year. He I think Michigan State has the ability to go, you know, 10 and 2, 11 and 1. And I think that a lot of people are sort of, not only writing off Michigan State, but, you know, I've read outlets that have, you know, Penn State finishing better than them. And I just, I, I don't see that happening at all. So I think that Michigan State is going to have themselves quite a year, and D'Antonio will be rewarded for it. Obviously, first coach fired is uh, Daryl Hazel, and it's not even that close the only other guy i can see getting fired is uh you know our, our favorite divisive person james franklin so um any well, thoughts uh on the big 10 josh yeah i thought um coach would get a kick out of this because he picked urban meyer and for most of the leagues that's the smart coach you pick the coach of the best team but this is what the big 10 has done for their coach of the year so um, by the way, the last Ohio State coach to win was 1979, Earl Brooks. Wow. Um, so since 2000, so I'll go with like the modern era. Since, 2000, <laughs> since 2000, we've had Randy Walker from Northwestern, Ron Turner, Illinois, Kirk Ferentz, Iowa, John L. Smith, if you remember him, Michigan State, Kirk again, Joe Paterno, Brett Bielema, Ron Zook, Joe Paterno again, Kirk Ferentz again, Mark D'Antonio in 2010, Brady Hope 2011, Bill O'Brien 2012, D'Antonio again in 13, 14 was Jerry Kill, and last year was Kirk Ferentz. For whatever reason, this league loves to give it to the guy that you expect their team to go 2-10, and 10, and they manage to go 8-4. and four. That's just what this league's always done, and I know good people of Columbus hate it, and they've ragged against it, and they don't get why... Tressel can win a national title and not even be the coach of the year in his own conference. But I, I'm telling you, the smart money is to always go against the Ohio State coach. It's weird. That is, well, I get that. That is, a, well, that is a very interesting phenomenon. But, you know, I don't know how many SEC coach of the year titles does Saban have. Like, you know, I, I, I don't think it's very many. But No, I don't think so either. I'd have to research that in our next show. I'll, I'll enlighten you on the coach of the year. Uh, rankings uh, when we do our next. I got it right here. Preview. What's the answer? Three-time. Three-time SEC Coach of the Year. Yeah, 03, 08, and 09. Okay, right. but he hasn't had it since 2010 when they started winning national titles again. I know, that's just kind of weird. But at least he's got three. <laughs> the, yes, that is very true. But it's just funny that they came at different points. Uh, 03, he was the LSU, t was the LSU national title team. So, um, 
But, you know, his first national title at Alabama was in 2009. And if he last won in 2008, as you know, I, I, I just – it's so it's so ridiculous. And, Josh, I, you know, I think that's a good point that you made about the Big Ten, you know, how they reward players. And, you know, the Heisman does that as well. You know, if there's a guy who's really hyped up and doesn't quite live up to standards but does pretty good, you're not getting votes. But if you come out of nowhere, you're definitely it's, – it's all about the narrative. So I just found it. Since Saban won back-to-back, by the way, in 08 and 09, 2010 was Steve Spurrier, 11 less miles – 12, Kevin Sumlin, 2013, Gus Melzahn, 2014, Gary Pinkle, 2015, Jim McElroy. All right. Again, the same concept of representing your division out of nowhere. Also, if you're a first-year coach who gets eight wins, you're going to get it. Yeah, some great names that have won Coach of the Year in the SEC. Uh, Sylvester Crum in 07, Houston Nutt in 06. So that was nice. Uh, Mark Richt, 20, 2002. That's the uh, most recent one for him. Lou Holtz got one back in 2000. So, Yeah, Mark Richt w- won the first SEC championship in 20 years uh, at Georgia. That was the first SEC championship since 1982 at that point. I was at that game. I was a freshman. I remember that. It's, funny, it's, it's really funny how many of these coaches – aren't at their team. Like, you know, Tuberville won in 2004, and he's already on his second team since being at Auburn. It's weird how Coach of the Year awards really uh, don't necessarily equate longevity. Well, you know, in the NBA, the Coach of the Year is a curse. Like, you're inevitably getting fired the next year if you get Coach of the Year. It happens every year, seemingly. So Yeah, um, sometimes, you get, sometimes you get canned mid-year. Oh, yeah. Oh, here's a great Big Ten connection. 1991 SEC Coach of the Year. They went five and six, but it was Vanderbilt, so Jerry DiNardo won it. And then he went on to LSU and then Indiana and won about five more games the rest of his career. (laughs) Well, on that note, I think it's time for us to wrap up uh, the Big Ten for this season. Uh, or this prediction, I should say. So we uh, will be back with you next time to take a look at some of the independents and some of the group of five squads uh, in order to wrap up our preview series. So uh, thanks again for listening, and we will see you next time on the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. Oh, yeah. Thanks for listening to the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. To get in touch with the show, email us at illegalmotionpodcast at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at illegal underscore motion. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.